All right. Well, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 is where we'll be this morning. Isaiah chapter 53. All right. Good to see you all. And uh, hey, everyone out here, you have teeth and you have lips. It's kind of cool. Uh, most of you didn't have that coming in. I, I don't think I did either. Uh, but it's good to see you, able to see a little bit of a smile on your face. I appreciate uh, we got to do what we got to do, you know, to be careful. And I appreciate that you all are doing uh, what you have to do so that you can be here at church. And um, we're glad we're glad for that. Nathan, I'm good on this. You control it, right? I'm, okay, good. Um, but uh, my name is Matt, and, um, and I've been traveling in full-time evangelism for three years now. And uh, my wife and I travel. If you go around the back of the building, you'll see whichever direction that is. Um, it's somewhere around the back. Uh, you'll see our trailer back there. And uh, we travel full-time in a fifth-wheel trailer. And uh, if you... Um, how many of you have ever owned one of those things before? You ever owned uh, some kind of camper, trailer, RV? All right. Well, you know what they can do uh, to a person. And actually, on our way over here, we had a wheel crack. Uh, but thankfully, I've seen it's happened multiple times already. So I had one ready to go. So changing that tire only took about 20 minutes uh, until we got a few more hours down the road. And when the panels started flying open, uh, so that was interesting. But uh, nothing fell out, and uh, we're okay, and so uh, I've got stuff ordered coming, uh, hopefully on Wednesday it'll arrive before we uh, head out, but we travel full-time, and that kind of gives, um, gives us an apartment of sorts to live in, um, just so that there's consistency, especially for my wife, and we have, um, that was my wife Hannah here, who sang with me and did piano, and then we have one son, his name is Samuel, and he's a year and a half old. And uh, getting near, getting near two, and uh, Hannah's pregnant with our second child, and so um, we're thankful for that. She's about 16 weeks, and uh, moving along there. So it really helps having our own space. Uh, some of you probably love having your own space. So do we. Uh, we breathe air like you, and uh, we like having our own space once in a while. And so, uh, so it really helps. Thank you all for having uh, just that spot back there where we can just pull in, plug in, and be all right. Because that really helps um, with. Um, uh, with what we do, just to um, just be able to kind of have a little bit of a normal life. Uh, let me tell you um, what's on the back, ta- uh, one of the side tables there um, next to the banner. Uh, everyone, please, if you would, pick up our prayer card. Um, it's got our picture on it of our family, and uh, we just hope that you will um, pray for us. Uh, I've got all throughout, um, I've got 31 prayer requests on here, and some of them are, uh, you know, they're um, important things, you know, souls to be saved, but some of the things on here are very specific. You ever, um, you ever prayed for a missionary and uh, you just thought, well, okay, I know that souls need to be saved and churches need to be planted. What else do you need, you know? And uh, so this has some specific needs of ours uh, that you can be praying for. And there's 31, so there's one for each day of the month if you, you know, want to just pick the day of the month and what do they need on that day. So you could, um, uh, that's a neat way you can pray for us. And if you like to hear from us, um, you, there's a spot back there you can write down your email address and I send out an email once a month and uh, just kind of tell you about what's been going on in our lives and uh, we include, I try best as I can to include the funny uh, because um, uh, life is funny usually, most of the time, where things happen and uh, as one person said, if you can't laugh at yourself, laugh at other people. So I tell you about things that happen and uh, some of you will get that and you know, so you get to see a little bit of the, just life in general and uh, of course we'll tell you about what God does and uh, some neat stories from, uh, from the, the, last, uh, uh, the last little while. We just finished up the camp season doing youth camps. We got in uh, for three weeks of camp. Some, uh, we had several camps that had to cancel on us. Um, 
of course, because of coronavirus regulations and all that. But <clears throat> we had some neat things that happened there. And so we'll tell you stories about that. Then also back there, uh, there are some CDs. This is one literally hot off the presses. I, I pulled these out of the box about six days ago. And so um, this is a CD my wife and I just made. It's called Prepare. And there are a lot of uh, songs of revival on here. And, um, and so uh, just some really neat, uh, neat songs of just that are prayers for revival that are on here. So that's Hannah and, and me singing on there. One of the songs is a, a original song that a friend of ours will tell you about it in there. Uh, he wrote the song and also um, uh, is just a good friend of the ministry, put a lot into the recording, and uh, is a Vietnam vet and uh, served, uh, served our country well during those years. And anyway, so that is back there. Then also, there are um, seven volumes of Bible songs for kids. And what this is, is this is just simply, um, this is simply Bible verses put to music. And it's definitely more for younger kids, um, but uh, it is just to kind of help memorize scripture. Uh, it's Bible verses put to music, and that's all it is. It's not extra songs. You won't find Jesus Loves Me on them. Not because Jesus Loves Me is a bad song. It's just this is to help get scripture into heads um, because uh, I, I don't know if you remember, but when I, I know when I was younger, uh, I could memorize huge portions of stuff that I listen to. And, um, and so this is a great thing to get in, especially in our music realm, uh, because folks, can I just say this? Um, we should not be surprised. You should not be surprised if, um, if you allow, especially children, especially younger children, uh, but really anyone, if you allow your children to listen to the rock and the rap and the country music of today, you really shouldn't be surprised if your kids grow up thinking that cussing, drinking, immorality, and rebellion are okay. Okay, because that's because I know what's coming through the music. Okay, and uh, that's and uh, so folks, why not fill their heads with the scriptures? Okay, by the way, volume number one is a great one. Has a lot of gospel on it, especially if you have unsaved grandkids uh, or something like that, or you have uh, there's a bus kid that comes a lot or something like that. I don't know. A great way to get the gospel to them. Then there's two volumes of Bible stories for kids. So these are stories, kind of dramatized, kind of cool. They use like a little sort of time machine-ish to go back into uh, some Bible stories and see the Bible characters. And at the end, uh, it's really, so this one has, number one is Joseph, number two is Jesus' birth, number three is the greatest story. And what literally happens is the narrator takes five minutes at the end of this and he gives the gospel. So, the, I mean, it's not like you have to find it in the stories, though it is in the stories. He gives the gospel at the end. And so, again, this is a great evangelism tool, for, and it's for younger children and such. So that's all back there. Some other um, men's group CDs, because I don't want to take a ton of time telling you about them, but uh, there's some men's group CDs back there as well. Um, but literally, uh, if, you, if you pick up some CDs, there's a box on the table there. Just put in the box whatever you think is fair to cover the cost of the CDs. We don't put an actual price tag on them, and that's just to... Um, uh, that is, uh, I'll use my trigger word, ladies, bargain. Now, some of you have just gotten triggered, okay? Uh, this, this is a bargain. You won't find this deal many other places where you can name the, actually name the cost on them. So that way you can afford them. So just put in the box what you think is fair to cover the cost, and that'll keep it affordable to you, okay? All right, so let's jump into Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a great chapter of Scripture, and uh, we're going to look at uh, most of it this morning, and I hope it will be a help to you. Um, I appreciate, I know Pastor was saying that uh, many of you uh, many, over the last um, few weeks, few months, uh, there have been plenty of new folks that are here. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of a visitor too. I've never been here before in my life. So, um, uh, so I'm still trying to figure out 
the way back, uh, there's that stairway. I think I'm getting it now of where that stairway is behind that door. So maybe you're trying to figure out uh, where you're at in the church building as well. But I'm, I'm so glad that you are here. And I hope uh, if you're watching on live stream, whatever, that this morning will just really help you with several things. Okay, so let's, um, let's open in prayer. And then we'll jump into the passage, okay? Lord, thank you for letting us gather this morning. Lord, we, um, it's amazing. We didn't know just a few months ago that meeting in church could become difficult and it could become um, not happen for a while. And so we thank you for letting us be here. And uh, Lord, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would bless what goes on this morning. Holy Spirit, we want you here because you're the convictor and you are the filler and uh, you are the comforter. And you are the illuminator of the scriptures. And so we just pray, um, would you just let your presence be here? And would you please dispel all lies of the devil? Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray um, that they would um, receive you today. And that um, for those who are um, wondering, going back and forth, seeking you, I pray that they would, um, that they would be... Um, saved this morning, that they would know where their eternity lies. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here in the book of Isaiah, we're in one of the books <clears throat> called One of the Books of Prophecy. Uh, there's lots of books of prophecy uh, in our scriptures, but Isaiah uh, is a big one, contains quite a bit of prophecy within it. In Isaiah chapter 42, all the way up through chapter 53, about 11 chapters in there, are all about a specific person that the Old Testament that Isaiah calls the servant. And over and over in these chapters, he describes the servant and says that there's someone called, and he's called the servant in these chapters, and says that this person is coming and that he is going to be an extremely important person. And uh, if you, you might already know where I'm going with this, these, um, these prophecies, and especially uh, culminating in Isaiah chapter 53, are predictions and prophecies that the Bible gave about Jesus Christ given 700 years before he was ever born. Now folks, kind of let that sink in. You try uh, describing someone 700 years from now and describing what he will do. We don't even know what culture is going to be like in 700 years of what, what things are going to be like. We don't know what our nation will look like, if our nation will be around. We don't know. But that is one, one thing you can trust the Bible on is, no, is, uh, is in its prophecies. In fact, uh, from what some Bible scholars have said is that um, there are as many as 300 references to 61 prophecies in the Old Testament, that all refer to Jesus Christ. Folks, uh, one um, uh, mathematician said, if we were to take eight of those 300 prophecies and try to make them all happen to one person, there is a one in 100 quadrillion chance that that person would actually do all eight of those things. And folks, what's neat is Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies. He fulfilled six, all 300 references to 61 of them. He did them all, and folks, you can't do that unless you're God. Because people want to look at Isaiah and the prophecies. This is a chapter that is often ignored uh, by, by Jews uh, that don't want to receive Jesus as their Messiah. This chapter is oftentimes pushed aside because it is so beautifully uh, directed to describe for us the coming servant. But as we read in these chapters especially, we find out that this is no mere man that is coming. But we find out that he is going to atone. He is going to literally pay for the sins of his people. 
He's not going to be just a person. He is going to pay for sins. You know, well, the whole Old Testament is full of the, uh, you know, the law and such telling us that we cannot pay for our own sins. Who is this person uh, that Isaiah prophesies is coming to be able to pay for these sins? Well, obviously, these uh, prophecies are fulfilled. If you read your New Testament in Jesus Christ, by the way, uh, Jewish historian Josephus, uh, Greek historian Herodotus, uh, were also uh, conferred on these prophecies and said Jesus did fulfill these prophecies. So let's look at Jesus as he was sent to this earth. He was sent to this earth and uh, the prophecies indicate that he was going to come, especially in Isaiah 53, they describe that this coming servant who would be Jesus, who was going to atone for sins, was going to suffer. And he was going to suffer greatly. So let's look at a few things this morning about the suffering Savior. Number one, I want you to see this, is who is this Savior? Well, verse number two of Isaiah chapter 53 says, uh, describing Jesus Christ, he says, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And it says, uh, here's his background. He says he will be as a root out of a dry ground. Now you say, what, what is the reference there when he says, Jesus will be as a root out of a dry ground. Well, the, folks, the, the reality is if you have uh, you know, some pretty rough ground, if you have some pretty dry ground, you won't grow plants there very often. Maybe at best you'll grow stuff that is uh, you know, kind of weeds or stuff that is, um, uh, can handle some kind of rough soil. But, so when it says that the, he'll be like a root out of a dry ground, in other words, it's describing it as he's like if you were to find a plant in a, in a place where you would never think to find that plant. If you were to find... A, uh, a, uh, if you were to find a beautiful, uh, you know, uh, a beautiful uh, magnolia tree in the middle of the Sahara Desert, you would say, what in the world is this plant doing here? How did it come out of here? And that was how Jesus was described. In other words, saying that he was coming from a most unlikely background because he did not come from royalty. The Bible says that he was born simply in a manger and then he grew up in a town called Nazareth. And uh, the Bible, they describe, the people of that time said about Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It'd be like, uh, it'd be like you, if, uh, I, if I said, oh, I met this wonderful person, this incredible person from, uh, well, we're just going to pick on, from Chicago, Detroit. You might say, can anything good come out of Chicago and Detroit? You know, that's what they were describing. But Jesus did not come from some kind of royal place. He came from a place of lowly, uh, of lowly background. Look at his appearance. Verse 2 says that the Savior who is coming, Jesus Christ, that he has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he didn't look like some kind of royalty. He didn't have some kind of special features that would have made everyone flock to him. He was that he was a common, normal-looking 30-year-old Jew. And the Bible says that he would be rejected. Verse 3, it says that he was despised and rejected of men. Uh, if you read through the, through the New Testament, especially in Luke chapter 4, describes the first time that Jesus was rejected in the synagogue when he said, I, when he read a portion of Isaiah and said, folks, this day, this prophecy is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, saying, I am your Savior and I am here. And, um, and Jesus was rejected, uh, was rejected by the Jews, was rejected by men because he was not the Savior they wanted. They wanted, the Jews wanted a savior. They wanted one, but they wanted one that would kick 
the Roman Empire out of Palestine. They didn't want someone who was going to deal with their sin. And you know, some of you might be that way this morning is, hey, you, you're good if, uh, if God will at least just answer your prayers and just kind of be around and kind of take care of y'all a little bit. But you don't want him to deal with your sin. Folks, that's exactly what the Jews did. Isaiah prophesied it, that the Jews would do it, and man, it's still happening today, that people, you know, when Jesus comes and says, listen, I am here not just to answer your prayers. I'm not just here to help you, help you along in life. I am here to help you to deal with your sin problem. They rejected him then, and so do people reject him today. And his job, verse number four says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The idea there is that he is here for the healing of mankind. Do we need an answer to heal humanity today? We do, and his name is Jesus Christ. Policies, politicians will not be able to accomplish it, but Jesus Christ can. But folks, maybe, I don't know, maybe uh, Jesus and, and a relationship with him, having him deal with your sin to take care of your sin problem, maybe that's not something you've thought about much. Maybe it's something you've thought about now and then. Can I tell you, folks, it is important that we consider why Jesus has come, why he suffered for us, because, now here's number two, is that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible says in verse number six, Isaiah 53 verse six says, all we like sheep. Why did Jesus have to come and suffer for sinners? Because all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So, in other words, God is saying that we are all, 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 all like sheep that go astray. Folks, sheep are, are definitely an animal that they need direction. You know, your cat can probably go out, you put it out at night, and it'll pro- it should come back unless it gets killed by something, you know. Um, probably a lot of you, not all of you, but you might have a dog you can put outside, and he runs through the woods a little bit, but he will come back. He can find his way back. Sheep just don't have, as far as I know, just don't have that talent, okay? Sheep need a shepherd, and the Bible says that all of us, every one of us, is like, we are like sheep, and that we go our own way towards our own path, and that we have all, uh, we have all deliberately, he says, we have turned everyone to his own way. The idea there is that everyone has purposefully and deliberately Turn aside from following God, and that is because we're sinners. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, the first man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Folks, there's not one of us in this room that can stand up and say, I am not a sinner. Do you, want to stay, do you really want to stand in front of a, a crowd of, what, 100 people here and say, I have been perfect? Well, we sure hope your spouse isn't nearby because uh, they'll, they'll tell the real story. None of us is perfect. My goodness, my kid, he's one and a half, but goodness gracious, he does what he wants sometimes. He shows, you know, uh, children, especially if you're a parent, you know children are not born good people. They're definitely born not good. I see it all the time. I see it all the time in my, chi- in my child that he wants his own way. He will, he will lie. He, even at one and a half, he will essentially lie, even though he can't even speak. He will disobey. He will be disrespectful. We are not, the Bible says that we are not born good people. The Bible says that we are born as sinners. We're all born as sinners. And the Bible says 
that uh, in verse number six, it says that the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. In other words, God says that he took our, has taken our sins and he is putting the punishment for them on Jesus, which tells us this is that your sin deserves a punishment. Folks, if someone was to commit a crime against you and he was taken, he was caught and taken to court and the judge said, and the judge said, you know what, all the evidence shows that you're guilty, but you know what, I'm having a good day and I hope you are too. I'm going to let you go even though you committed all these crimes. You don't have to pay a fine. You don't have to pay him back. You don't have to do anything like that. You know what you'd say about that judge? That judge is not fair. And you know, God, who is described in the scriptures as a judge, God would not be fair to let your sin go unpunished. He would not be fair to let my sin go unpunished. Folks, if you want to talk about God's love, which, by the way, we will get to, you've got to also talk about the holiness of God, the perfection of God, and the justice of God, that God is a fair God who must punish sin. Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 3, Woe unto the wicked! It shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Psalm 917 says that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages, the payment for sin is death. God says that sin must be punished. And notice, by the way, since sin must have a punishment, that means that you and I must in some way pay for our sins. But the Bible says, uh, I like how the Bible indicates this. He says that the punishment for our sins was, verse 6, laid on him. In other words, what what the prophet is telling us is that Jesus is the only one qualified to bear the, the penalty that your sin deserves before God. Jesus, he's the only one. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is the only one who is qualified to take the punishment for your sin. He is the only one that can do it. Not your baptism. Not your good works. Not just trying to do the best I can. Not church attendance. Not, uh, uh, not, <clears throat> not church attendance. Not Bible reading. Uh, not, um, uh, not doing good things. Uh, you know, a, a pope can't save us. A priest can't save us. A pastor can't save us. Uh, can't take away our sins. No one can take away our sins. Communion can't do it. A sacrament can't do it. The Bible indicates that the only I hate to use the word thing because it's really a person. The only person that can, that can handle the punishment that your sin deserves is Jesus. That's why Isaiah 53, 6 says, it's not your good works. It's not a what we can do of ourselves. 1 Peter 2 says, who of his own self, talking about Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And you know what is just amazing is that Jesus, here's Jesus, he did not have to bear our sins. He was under no obligation to take the punishment that our sin deserves, but he did because he was, here's number three, about the suffering Savior. I want you to see the innocence of the Savior. The Bible says in verse number seven that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not 
his mouth. In other words, you know, Jesus, if anyone should have argued before the court of Herod, if anyone should have argued before the court of, uh, of Pilate, if anyone should have argued before the court of, um, uh, of, the, uh, of the high priest, and of Caiaphas and of Annas, if anyone should have argued for his innocence, it should have been Jesus. But the Bible says, and you can read it in the New Testament, that Jesus did not, did not argue because he was willing to, even though he was innocent. And folks, can I tell you something? When an innocent person dies a death penalty for you he loves you he loves you deeply the bible says that god commendeth means he demonstrated his love toward us you want to know if god loves you or not god says well i'm not just going to tell you i'm going to demonstrate how i did it romans 5 8 god demonstrated commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us the innocent Savior died for guilty sinners. And he was ignored. He was, um, he was submissive. He was ignored. He was disgraced for the sake of sinners. And he did that to suffer greatly for you. I want you to see here number four. I want you to see the suffering of the Savior. Here, here he was. He's from a, a no-name background. But he suffered for sinners like us in need of a Savior, even though he was totally innocent. And how did he suffer? Well, the Bible says, uh, we know that our sin must be punished. And by the way, the Bible indicates that the punishment for sin is eternal death. Not simply physical death, but the Bible describes that there is a real place called hell where there are literal flames, where literal people are experiencing literal punishment today. Not because God hates them, but because God is a fair and just God who must punish for sin. The thing is, you have a choice to make. You can either punish, you can either pay the punishment that your sins deserve in hell forever, or you can take the punishment that Jesus paid for. And you know what's nice is God lets us choose. Are we going to pay for it? You can pay for it yourself. The problem is people think, oh, I'll pay for it for my, myself with my good works. God says, no, your good works won't pay for it. The only thing that will pay for your sins is eternal death and separation in hell. But God says, I have made another option. And that is why Jesus suffered on a cross because he was suffering there to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse number five. <clears throat> Isaiah 53 Verse number five says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. You know what the word wounded means? The word wounded means <clears throat> to be pierced. It means to be uh, kind of shot through with some kind of uh, uh, piercing. And you know, folks, Jesus, when he suffered on the cross, yes, he most definitely was pierced. One of the things they did was that they would, uh, most men when they died on a cross did not die necessarily from blood loss, but they died from, if I can pronounce it, asphyxiation. Basically, they couldn't breathe. They couldn't breathe because what would happen is, is that the Roman soldiers would take a person, they would take the cross and lay it down on the ground, they'd stretch the person that they were crucifying out with the legs going down, the arms going out, and then they would take a nail about the size of a railroad spike, and they would drive it through the wrists, 
he was pierced for our transgressions. Because the Romans had a law that said, basically, if a guy could get down off a cross, he was free to go. And so they used to put nails through the hands. You ever see those classic pictures of Jesus with nail dots right here? They did, the Roman soldiers at that time did not put nails here. Because men literally, their hands would tear and they would fall off the cross. And they were okay with that. Their hands were mangled, but they were free to go. And so the Romans said, we're not going to lose more men off the cross that way. And so they moved the nail down so that it would anchor between those two bones right through a tremendous nerve that you have running down this entirety of your arm. And as they would pound those nails in, it would scream pain, pain as he suffered and was pierced for your transgressions. He didn't do it to make a movie. He didn't do it to make, so that people could make crucifixes and make paintings. Jesus suffered and was pierced for our transgressions, for our sins, because that's all that will pay for it. Good works won't pay for it. Jesus is the only one who could pay for those sins. The Bible says he was wounded, he was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. Then it says in verse number five that he was bruised for our iniquities. The word bruised there means to be crushed. That's the idea of being crushed. Now, the Bible indicates, and by the way, this was another fulfillment of prophecy, was that Jesus was also pierced through his side with a spear. One of the things that the Roman soldiers would do to hurry up some of the crucifixions was they would break the legs of the men who were on the cross because in order to breathe, remember, a lot of men on the cross died uh, from not being able to breathe, when you were on a cross, if you were, you breathe in, if you wanted to breathe out, you had to push yourself up in order to get your lungs to be able to expel the air out. And so it was a workout all day as long as they could possibly do it. Some men could survive on crosses for multiple days. And so when the Roman soldiers were fed up with it and said, you know what, uh, let's just end this right now, they'd break the guy's legs, then he couldn't push himself off, and the crucifixion was over quite rapidly because then the man couldn't breathe. But one of the prophecies of scripture said that no bones of Jesus would be broken and you know within just a few hours Jesus died on that cross and they took a spear and pierced it through his side because uh, because they looked like he was already dead and when they pierced it through they could tell he had already died there was no need to break his bones so where was the crush how could he be bruised how could it be crushed for our iniquities the idea there is that he was crushed could we say under the load of your sin there on that cross there on that cross God took Every last time that you've lied, every last time that you have gotten angry, every last time that you have lusted, every last time that you have uh, complained, every last time that you've said a dirty word, every last time that you have sinned, and it was as if God took all those sins, compressed them into one moment of time, and placed them on Jesus Christ as he suffered there on the cross, and he was crushed for our iniquities, a word that means depravity or offenses. He was crushed for our iniquities. But then it says, verse number five, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The word chastisement simply means the punishment. So you could say it like this in verse five, the punishment of our peace or the punishment that brought about our peace was upon him. You ever said, you ever heard the phrase, well, I want to make my peace with God you ever see, you know, the, the movies where, you know, especially those old westerns, 
some guys on death row, and then the, the minister comes in and asks, do you want to make your peace with God? And they, they talk about, oh, I've already made my peace with God. And the, there's nothing going on in the movie. They don't show you anything. What, because God says, you want to know peace with God? You want to know peace with God? He says, you better accept Jesus' suffering and death on that cross as the payment for your sins if you want to have peace with God. The chastisement, the punishment that would bring about our peace was upon him. He was the only one that could bring about that peace. And then it says in verse number five, and with his stripes, we are healed. With his stripes we are healed. The idea there is that the stripes are the marks across the back of the across the back of someone who would be whipped. Because before Jesus ever went to the cross, he was whipped. And what they would do is they would take a man and they would they would take a man in those times, they would take him, take his wrist, they tie him tight, either straight above his head or spread eagle out just high enough so that his toes would barely touch the ground, so that all the muscles along his back were tight. And then the Romans would pull out a whip called the cat of nine tails. It had a handle on it with nine leather straps coming out of it, kind of like a tail. And what they would do is these Roman soldiers would train to whip, almost like how we would train at practice for a sport. And these Roman soldiers would stand one on one side and one on the other side, and they would take that whip and they would come at that body, and those straps would come around the body, and at the end of those straps, they would fasten some kind of a broken piece of bone or a broken piece of glass or a broken piece of pottery, something that was sharp, so that as they whipped him, the strands would come around the body, catch in the front, and then they would pull it back as it would tear the flesh off, and they would have one on the right, one on the left, so as one pulled back, the other one was already going in. And they whipped our Savior, and they say that sometimes the whippings were so bad that you couldn't even tell who the person uh, who the person was, and they could, uh, and it's described that his visage, his face, and his features were so marred, you couldn't even fully know if it was a man. And folks, Jesus suffered all that to pay for your sins and my sins. He didn't do it so that you could, so that someone in the medieval ages could make a painting. He did it to pay for your sins and my sins because our sin is that bad. And because our sin cannot be paid for with a water baptism. And our sin cannot be paid for with good works. The only thing that could pay for it, Jesus says, or God says, is that the iniquity, the punishment for sin, had to be laid on the coming servant. It had to be laid on Jesus. And there is Jesus was whipped, then went to the cross and died on that cross. Folks, he was dying the death penalty that you and I deserved to pay in hell forever. He was paying for it on the cross. But you know what's good is that verse number 10 says, is that it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, yet he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. But it says, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. Now you say, okay, if someone is going to die, how can the prophecy also then say, that he, is going to, that he is going to see people afterwards that are going to believe in him, how can it say that he is going to prolong his days? Real simple, we call it Easter, when Jesus rose from the dead. Because here's the thing, 
Jesus, the Bible says that for three days he lay in that tomb. By the way, in the tomb for three days so that people would, so that people couldn't make up these ridiculous stories that, oh, he wasn't actually dead. Folks, you don't get, you don't get sealed inside of a tomb after being, after being whipped and crucified and three, in there for three days with all your blood and everything flowing out with no oxygen, no food, no water, and then just kind of walk out and push the rock over and walk out. Okay, people? He, the Bible says that he was in the tomb for three days, and the Bible says that after three days, the Bible says that he was risen from the dead. No one else is able to raise, has ever, no one else is able to raise themselves from the dead. But Jesus said several times in the New Testament, he says, destroy this temple, talking about his body, and in three days, I will raise it up again. You know, there's only uh, one person now who has conquered death. That is Jesus Christ. And you know, because he's conquered death, I mean, he has control over death. If he can die and literally raise himself back to life, you know what he's authorized to do? He's authorized to offer eternal life to whoever he will. And you know what he says? That whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so here it is, this final thing. I want you to see your decision to make. Your decision to make. Because Jesus says, I like how it says, he will see his seed. Literally, it means his offspring. The idea is that there are going to be people who will, who will, become, uh, will become Christians, people who will uh, be able to take this death, this suffering that Jesus did, and, and will have eternal life. John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So he says, if you want to become a child of God, we're not sorry to whoever sang that Christmas song about Santa knows that we're all God's children, that makes everything right. Sorry to bust your bubble, but that ain't totally accurate because we are not all God's children. We are all the creation of God, but we are not all God's children. John 1.12 says that as many as will receive him will accept that his death payment on the cross was enough to pay for their sins. Whoever will receive him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God. Even, he says, to them that believe on his name. The word believe means to depend or to trust. The idea is, he says, you've got to put your trust or your dependence in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone to have eternal life. You can't say Jesus plus some good works. It's not Jesus plus your baptism. It's not Jesus plus your communion your sacrament, your, your church attendance, your whatever you've done. Folks, it is Jesus Christ alone is what the scriptures teach. That's what it teaches. So let me ask you this. Has there been a time ever in your life where you received Jesus, where you put your dependence on him, where you saw, wow, I am a sinner, my sin must be punished, and there's nothing else qualified enough to take away my sins. Please, I, Jesus, I want you to, <clears throat> to be my Savior. I want you to take away my sins. Has there ever been that time in your life? Uh, verse 11 says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. The Bible says that Jesus has plans to justify many, to, to save many, to bring many into the family of God, to bring many to salvation. But the nice thing is that God does not force us because we're not robots. And so he leaves you with a choice of will you or won't you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior from your sins. Because no one else is qualified to do that. 
No one else has within, can we say, has within them the intrinsic value of being able to do such a thing. Only God is able to do that, and that Jesus is God. You know, uh, at the end of World War I, there were, uh, there were um, a lot of um, Germans brought in for war crimes at the end of World War I. And there were, uh, from what I read, there were 900 German soldiers that had violated international law and were being held, you know, trial at some kind of world court. A German prince stood up and said in front of this, uh, in front of this court, he said that he was willing to volunteer to be the substitute for these 900 men. In other words, he said, if you will execute me instead of the 900 I'm willing to do it. You know what the court said at that time? They said even though it was very noble, they said it was impractical because even though he was royalty, they said he did not have within him, in his own person, the value, the intrinsic value of 900 people. But you know what's good is that um, there was, and Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace, referring to Jesus, there was a prince of peace who had within him the intrinsic value, could we say, to be able to offer eternal life to as many as will receive him. So if you ever put your dependence, your trust on Jesus Christ alone, you ever done that? Can I say this? You ought to. You know, if nothing else, this time in our nation ought to teach us this, is that life can be short. Some of you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and you're fooling around, maybe during one, a very, one of the most dangerous times, maybe a dangerous time, at least, in our nation's history. Folks, um, why do you wait? If you know that you need to ask Jesus to be your Savior, why do you wait? Maybe you say, I've never really understood it. Well, good, now you do. Uh, maybe you say, well, uh, uh, you know, there could be any reason. Maybe you're scared of what someone else is gonna think. Maybe you're afraid of rejection. Thankfully, Jesus wasn't afraid of rejection. He was willing to suffer and die for you. But folks, most important decision you can ever make in your life is what will you do with Jesus? Will you ask him to be your savior from your sins? What I'm gonna do right now, folks, is I'm gonna give, uh, we call it an invitation. We're gonna invite you to do that, to ask Jesus to be your Savior. Now, one thing I think is important is that, I don't know, I may not, I may have missed something or something may have confused you. And so what we have is we have counselors that will be ready to sit down with you and help you answer any final questions you have and help you ask Jesus to be your Savior. But friend, don't do it. Don't, don't wait to do it until it becomes eternally too late. So let's do it like this. Let's have every head down, every eye closed. All heads down and all eyes closed and no one's looking around. What I'm going to ask is that um, pastor, who plenty of you have met, he's going to be in the back. What I'm going to ask right now is uh, if there's any of you that say, yes, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior today. I want to do that today. Well, they're going to be ready to either they themselves or they'll put you with a counselor who is ready to do that with you today. So here's, here's what I'm going to ask. Your heads are down. Your eyes are closed. I'm going to ask a raise your hand question. And so raise your hand if you would say this. How many of you would say, Brother Matt, I am not sure if my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure if I have eternal life, but I want to know that for sure today. If that's you, 
with no one else looking around, would you please raise your hand? Is there anyone like that all across this room who would say, Brother Matt, if I was to die today, I am not sure that my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure if I have eternal life, but I want to know that for sure today. Is there anyone like that who would raise their hand and say, I want to do that today. I want to make sure that today. Anyone at all? I'm looking all across this room. Anyone at all who would say, I want to do that today. Anyone at all? I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer.